just in the last couple of weeks, Open Doors has released a world watch list of countries where it is most dangerous to follow Christ. Oppression, persecution from government regimes like the communist North Korea, the Taliban-led Afghanistan, the Boko Haram in Nigeria. How should Christians live in these countries where they are oppressed and persecuted? And what about our wee country? Were we right about churches for so long to close down in accordance with government guidelines? Just recently, the Archbishop of Canterbury, who I don't agree with everything he says, but he says he would be more cautious about closing for so long the next time, if there is a next time. Teachers out there, how are you going to handle the guidance handed down for the use of preferred pronouns for children in your class? One teacher in the south of Ireland, Enoch Burke, has been in jail for four months. Four months for refusing to use a preferred pronoun of a child in this class. And the Church of Ireland's reply was that there was no policy on this issue. These issues and many more are coming at us hurtling like a high-speed train. The influence of Christianity declines in the governments of the, or in the corridors of our governments today. We are now going to have to think through some of these issues and many, many more in days to come. As law after law seems to be passed that is contrary to God's word, Christians today, we need to be thinking, how are we going to live outside of these four walls? And it isn't the first time that Christians have had to think about some of these things. It isn't the first time God's people have had to be aware of it. Think of the Egyptian midwives in Exodus 15, whether they would consider slaughtering the most vulnerable in society, babies under two at Pharaoh's command. Daniel and his three friends in Babylon, would they eat the king's food? Would they bow down to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar or not? Jesus questioned whether people should pay taxes to Caesar or not. James and John in Acts 4 and 5 have to decide whether they will keep on spreading the gospel or not to, to comply with the government's commands. And Paul here addresses the topic in this letter to the church at Rome. How should this fledgling church live under Nero outside the gatherings that they have together? So what was it like for this group of believers in Rome under Roman rule where there was no Christian influence at all in the corridors of power? Romans did not rule by democracy. Nero ruled with an iron rod and there were no special friend of Christians. Some Jewish zealots of the day recognized no king but God and they refused to pay taxes to to Caesar, and they revolted in AD 6 and AD 66 against the government of those times. For the Roman church, this is not an easy situation to be in. So what advice under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit does Paul give to this church as we think about Christian living in the outside world. Well, firstly, I believe God is saying this in this passage, God establishes governments. 
Paul so heavily for the church at Rome and for us today reminds us that God is in absolute control and, and he establishes rulers across the world. See there in verse 1, it says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities exist, have been established by God. Paul knows that this is going to be a really hard concept for the church to grasp. I think that's why he says it twice. He says, absolutely, there is no authority unless that which God has established. Think of how the church at Rome received this. Their leaders of the time, Caligula, Claudius, and Nero, ascended to power with God's permission. Tyrants allowed to rule and to reign as have the rulers of the day. So from Nero, the evil oppressor, to Caesar, who wants people to worship him as Lord, to Pharaoh, thousands of years before, who wanted to kill babies, Nebuchadnezzar, who wanted to be worshipped as king, Kim Jong-un, who wants to be worshipped today, Vladimir Putin, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Barack Obama, Boris Johnson, Richie Sunak, Ian Paisley, Martin McGuinness, Leo Farage, Michael D. Higgins, Nicholas Surgeon, and all the rest, all established by God. Blows our mind, doesn't it? Daniel 2, in the New Living Translation, is so helpful. It says, praise the name of God forever and ever, for all, for he has all wisdom and power. So as he establishes these rulers around the world, he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world defense. He removes kings and sets up other kings. But is it just Paul and Daniel who believe this? No, well... The psalmist says there is no one from east to west or from the desert that can exalt a man, but it is God who judges. He brings one down and exalts another. Right throughout Scripture, we read in relation to worldly friends and world governments that God is in control. But aren't we frustrated with the governments, aren't we? Aren't we frustrated by the lack of governments? What on earth is God doing? Well, I'm not here to tell you because only he knows. The secret things belong to him. But I think he is allowing for the free will of individuals and nations. He's maybe saying, be careful what you wish for. Martin Luther said that he thought human government is inherent in the fall. He calls it the kingdom of God's left hand. He said that it is God's way to, to control bad, God's way to control bad men is to put bad men in control. It's a few that has been echoed down through the ages of the way. But God used the Assyrians to discipline his people in the past. God may be bringing judgment on a nation through its rulers today. I don't think we can rule that out. But as we look at the governments around our own country, around our kingdom, around the world, maybe it's making us groan for a new creation. Maybe it's making us groan for a place where God will rule, where we will be his people in his 
land enjoying his rule and his reign in perfect obedience to him. See, the Bible actually gives no directions on how government should be set up. All types of governments are flawed and fallen. All have strengths and weaknesses. But overall, God is in control. So the next time we are perplexed by those ruling over us, could I encourage us to do three things? To remember that God is in control and to continue to trust him and obey him. Second, to cry out to God and lament at the state of this world and to ask and to plea with him to bring about change. And then thirdly, look forward. Look forward to that day when we will be in our eternal home. Take our eyes off the temporary and look forward whenever God will be the ruler of all and there will be a perfect state of obedience and order. God establishes governments. Hard for us to grasp. It's what the Bible teaches. But what should these governments then do? Secondly, I believe governments should then serve God. Governments should serve God. Verses 2 to 4. Consequently, it says, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear from one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for the rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath that bring punishment on the wrongdoers. Governments are God's servants. It's their right in the text twice in the passage. And the Greek word here is diakonos, which is the same as the word deacon today. So think of the governments of this world as God's deacons. They are established by God And I think our governments would do well to recognize that. But what should they be doing? What is their role as they serve God? What they have authority? The role is to provide authority for the smooth running of society, to punish the rebels and to allow people to flourish. They are the rulers. They are to provide rules and laws. They are to make decisions. They are to bring Verdicts there to have consequences and also there to be agents of wrath. Maybe the next time you're talking to your MLA on the door, if they actually call to your door, or to your MP, ask them, how does it feel to be an agent of wrath? They are to punish and judge people for wrongs. See there in verse 4, they are to bear their sword, they are to Punish evil and reward what is good. Maybe Luther's descriptions of governments of God's way of having control, of bad men controlling bad men wasn't too bad after all. But as they ruled with authority, says then, first of all, it is for our good. The government should serve God to allow us to flourish, to allow us keep us in life, but also to allow us to flourish. Think of the simple illustration of roads. They are to make our roads safe. They are to set speed limits 
seatbelt rules, mobile phone laws, MOT tests, a highway code, all for our good, so that we can travel all around together at high enough speed, safely from one place to another. And you can apply that to any area of government law and legislation. As one commentator said, governments are God's way of maintaining the public good and directing the affairs of the state. But sadly, like all areas of this broken world and fallen world that we live in, there is corruption and there is disorder in governments today as there is in your life and as there is in your family and as there is in our church. Men and women who disregard God, who want to be God, they rule for their good rather than for the good of the people. They take bribes, there is corruption. They make up rules and then they break them and then they seek to cover them up and cover each other. They openly oppose God in many nations around the world. They persecute his people. They discredit his word. They seek to remove God, not just from the corridors of power, I believe, but they seek to remove him from every square inch of their land. Think about China. Think about Korea. The desire to have God removed from everywhere in the land. And it's not just in these countries. It's coming to the West. We must recognize, I believe, that governments aren't neutral towards God. They're certainly not pr- promoting God and godly values, but they are actively, I believe, and purposefully, collectively at times, trying to push God and the church to fringes of society. But God is in control. Read the history of the church in China and in other countries. God is building his church. A ruler that God establishes cannot thwart his plans. Times of great growth accompany or follow times of great persecution. The future of our church does not depend on the laws passed in Parliament. The future of our church is God's to build, and we are to be part of his building. If there is a decline in the church over years to come, it's not the government's fault. We'll all have something. We'll all have a part in it. But God is in control. He has promised to build his church. So what does all this mean for governments today? Well, they should be making and passing laws. And I believe these laws fall into three categories. Those that are directly in line with God's word. And we should rejoice with these. Those that are contrary to God's word, and we should mourn, and we should oppose these in ways that we can. And there are the nuance and neutral. Higher taxes or lower taxes, whether it's a 40 or 50 mile an hour speed limit. We may have our opinions, but ultimately it's not a biblical mandate. So what's the application for us today. Well, if you are in a governmental role, either sitting here in the building or watching on online, please seek to make laws in accordance with God's word. Please do take your responsibility seriously today. And also I think the application is if we have a, a, a position of authority wider than government, say in the workplace, say in your school, say in the sports club, And if you're involved in making the rules and decisions there, seek to do these in align with God's word. Continually seek to submit yourself to God, even whenever it is costly. 
and to advocate for good laws. We have an opportunity in our land to advocate for good laws in our land and in other countries as well. We've seen that that governments are established by God. They are established to serve God. So what does that mean for the rest of us? Well, thirdly and finally and longest, you'll be unhappy to hear, Christians should submit to governments and to God. Christians should submit to governments and to God. Look at the bookends of this short section. Let everyone, Paul is writing to the church at Rome, saying let everyone who hears this be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except what God has established. And then go on down to first five there, it says, therefore, based on what we've already looked at in point two, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but as a matter of conscience. This is why you pay your taxes, for the authorities are God's servants, who gave their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If it's taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. The two bookends here are saying, be subject, submit. My six-year-old is in P3, and he's learning all about verbs. What a joy for him. And so are his parents relearning about verbs. He is told to look at a sentence in his workbook or in life and to identify the verb so that he can see what's going on in it. And to be honest, he's better at it than I am. So with his help and a few other wise people, that is what we do here. And we see the verb that is repeated here is to be subject, to submit ourselves, to hypotasio in the original ourselves to God, to place ourselves under the governments and under God. Paul is asking the Romans to accept the secular authorities over them and be willing to take their proper place in the social strata of our day, says Osborne. But do you remember the Romans in Nero, the supremely evil government and one of the most evil empires in history? To submit to him, the Fox's book of Martyr says that Nero contrived all manner of punishments for the Christians that the most infernal imagination could design. And Paul, Peter, and many others suffered at his hands. And Paul is saying, submit yourself to the governing authorities. Warren, which we say is that even though we cannot always respect the man or woman in office, we must respect the office for government was ordained by God. But you're saying, Keith, is this the only place that we're told to be submissive to the government and God's word? Well, Titus 3, 1, written to the church in Crete, says, remind them to be submissive to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Peter writes on the eve of Nero's, Nero's persecution to Asia Minor. He said, be subject to the Lord's sake, to every human institution whether it be the emperor as supreme, to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Over and over again, we are told to submit ourselves to the governing authorities. But you say, Keith, why are we to 
to them? Why can't we set up our own wee kingdom and have our own laws? Well, we are told to some not because we are commanded to do it, because their authority comes from God. Don't forget the first point of our sermon today. God establishes governments. God is in control. We are told to obey the commands because they're good. We're also told in verse 4 to obey our conscience, to keep in line with our conscience, and also widely in Scripture says to obey because of Christ his perfect example of obeying human institutions where appropriate. As Philip says, one should obey not simply because it is the safest, but because it is the right thing to do. You're saying, Keith, but what about whenever it's hard to submit? Well, for the church in Rome, for Jews inside and outside the church, the one command they detested more than any was to pay their taxes to Caesar, to pay people to continually employ others to oppress them, to pay at the nearest, which had the face of Caesar on it, and the inscription, Caesar is Lord. And yet here in the passage, Paul says, pay your taxes. And do you remember whenever Jesus was approached by the Romans and the Pharisees who had who had sort of formed a coalition against Jesus. Here were two arch enemies politically, the Herodians and the Pharisees, and they come together trying to catch Jesus out and they say, should we pay taxes to God or to Caesar? And Jesus' brilliant reply is, surrender to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Jesus and Paul are both saying here, pay your taxes, your income tax, your VAT, whatever it is, however wasteful the government is with us, pay your taxes. Tim Keller comes in so helpfully again and says, Jesus says yes to paying taxes, but no to paying Caesar worship. Jesus says yes to paying Caesar taxes, but no to paying Caesar worship. We pay our taxes to our government, but we certainly do not worship them. Whoever the first minister is or isn't, whoever the prime minister is or isn't, whoever the president is or isn't, depending on where you're living, we pay them our taxes, but we do not pay them our worship. And that brings us on to the question that you've probably all been waiting for. Well, what about and it's a question that actually this passage doesn't address, but other passages in Scripture does. What should we do whenever the government's laws are contrary to God's laws? said, Keith, well, does this really happen? Well, yes, it does really happen, and you know it. In Jesus' day, natural enemies, the Herodians and Romans, formed a coalition against him. And in some countries today, we're seeing coalitions rise up who used to be enemies with each other coming and passing laws that are contrary to God's word. Green and orange, conservative and labor, SNP and conservative seek to pass laws contrary to God's word and ultimately oppress Christians right across our nation. In mainland UK, I see no conservative moral party with any clout, really. In their own land, it's a little bit more complex 
as he usually is. But just like the Egyptian midwives in Exodus, Daniel and his friends, Peter and John in Acts 4, we must obey God rather than man. When human laws directly oppose, outlaw, or contradict God's law, we are to break the human law to keep God's law. See, Peter James in Acts 4, trying to be silenced from spreading the good news about Jesus of Nazareth. They didn't like they were saying Jesus is the only way. They possibly today would call that hate speech. They say that if you don't know Jesus, you're going to go to hell and suffer for eternity without him. That was the gospel message people were saying. But they were saying that Jesus wants to come and the Savior wants to bring you to heaven. They were saying, don't keep spreading this. It's causing civil unrest and uproar. And today, we're going to be accused of hate speech as well. Peter and the other apostles reply, we must obey God rather than human beings. Think of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego ordered to bow down to the popular idol of the day and they publicly refuse. They come and they say, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O God, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What would it look like for us to say we're not going to serve the gods and idols of our culture today? Think of the Hebrew Midwives asked by the civil authorities to kill babies, the most vulnerable in society. And the midwives said no. Kent, who's a Christian, rather said, a Christian must disobey his government when it asks him to, one, violate a commandment of God, two, commit an immoral or unethical act, and three, go against his Christian conscience. There's examples of this right throughout Scripture. And in our day, there's going to be challenges facing us more than ever. But what does this mean for us living in Norwich and North Down as we close? Well, teachers out there, and there's a lot of you, we're going to need to think through how we are going to process the legislation passed down of how we address boys and girls in our class. Healthcare professionals are going to think through their role in surgeries that bring life to an end and go against God's design of the human body. Churches are going to have to think through who they will and will not marry and what we will and will not say publicly. And I agree with the Archbishop of Canterbury that the church will need to think through what we're going to do if we're asked to stop meeting Sundays by Sunday like we were in March to June 2020 and January to April 2021. What should we do if we're asked to do it again? Because this was in direct violation of God's word. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says, Let us consider how to stir one another up, not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit of doing. Acts 27, on the first day of the week, they were gathered together. 1 Corinthians 11, 18, when you come together as a church. 1 Corinthians 5, 4, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord. In the first lockdown, we didn't have a notion what was going on. The second lockdown, did the governments over 
desperately were asking us to do. We continue to have pastoral conversations with people whose lives are wrecked because of the lockdown and not attending church for so long. We need to be on our guard. We need to be thinking through these issues and many, many more. We need to stop iron our heads in the sand as we think about some of these issues. But as I close, as we think about uh, submitting ourselves to our government and to God, to realize that God is in control, to realize that government should serve God, we're urged by Paul at 1 Timothy 2, that first of all, the petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all the people for the kings and those in authority, that we will live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior. Pray rather than complain. Pray because God can bring about change in the government. and God can bring about change in our hearts. Maybe rather than being so critical, Keith, you get pray a bit more and that will be more beneficial for us as we listen to the radio programs as we as we are wound up by them maybe then allowing us to be wound up and and to complain we turn to pray why should we pray i believe we should pray because we'll recognize afresh that god is sovereign over the rulers and that he is also sovereign over us we should pray because god can direct the water courses of a man's heart and he can direct the hearts of men and women in power. He raises up and he tears down. And I believe we should pray as well because that will prepare us for our heavenly home. God, the government, and you.